This morning, we are going to talk about rest. Amen? Everybody with me on that one? We need rest. I need rest. We all need it. Psalm 37 is the reading uh, this morning. If you're physically able to stand while we read Psalm 37, uh, please go ahead and stand up with your Bible in hand. Encouraging us about rest, a Psalm of David. It says, do not fret because of evildoers. Psalm 37, one. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord, Psalm 37, three, and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Amen? All right, take your Bible. If you'd have a seat, turn to Genesis chapter two. We're gonna just look at verses one through three this morning. The subject of rest, Genesis two, one through three. I'm gonna pray and then we'll read the text together. Father, I wanna thank you for every precious saint that's here this morning. Thank you for those who have come visiting, maybe checking out Christianity, maybe wanting to know more. Maybe those who have been away for a while but are here today because they know they need you. Whatever the case may be, you know every heart, you know what we need, you know the healing that we need in various areas of our lives. And I thank you, Lord, that we're together, that we can seek your face together. So we wanna just afresh lay everything at your feet that takes place here, Lord. Lead us by your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you would want us to hear and a heart to respond to it with action that would line our lives up with your ways and your will. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 2, let's read 1 through 3. It says, thus, the heavens and the earth were completed, Genesis 2, 1, and all their hosts, if in NIV it says, in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now where we've been so far is we've looked at the six days of creation in Genesis 1 and Genesis 1 is an overview of the six days of creation. Genesis 2 gives us more detail, especially about day six. So if you're ever confused about that, just think of Genesis 1 as an overview, an aerial view of creation. And then Genesis 2 will get more specifics. So it's not contradictory, it's complementary. Genesis 2, like a lot of Jewish literature, literature, sometimes you get an overview, then you get the detail. So Genesis 2 will give you more detail, especially about day six of creation and especially focusing on male and female, Adam and Eve, and what God would then call them to do as the jewel of his creation. We've been seeing that man was made in God's image. We've been seeing the beauty of everything that he made. And then something interesting happens after these incredible six days of creation. God looks, look at verse 31. 
Genesis 1, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The way that render the Hebrew is, you could render this, it was beautiful. Genesis 1.31, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day or day six. So God creates all of this magnificence. He forms and then he fills. We see the corresponding days that Pastor Mel has given us. He forms something, then he fills it. And now day seven comes. But before day seven comes, God looks at everything that he made and he calls it good. I hope you can come to the end of some work weeks and survey what you did during that week and say, man, that was a good week. That was beautiful. Sometimes we can come to the end of the week and all we can focus on is the negative, all the you know, negative voices that have come our way, all the self-talk that can be negative. We can be our own worst enemies, but God gives us a principle here. He looked at everything he made, and of course, God is God, and he said it's beautiful. The implication is also that it was functional, that it worked, and God declared that it was good. There's been some conjecture about where the fall of Lucifer fits in the Genesis account. Some people have conjectured that Lucifer fell between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. But it is interesting that it says in verse one, notice, God completed everything that he made, all their hosts, and there are many scholars that believe hosts includes angels. And then at the end of chapter one, God calls everything good. So has Lucifer fallen yet? If everything that God made was good, I don't know. I mean, it's conjecture, but we do know this, that Lucifer will show up in Genesis 3 in the garden. So somewhere in there, he falls. But now God comes to the end of the six days, and he makes a declaration that everything was good. There are many scholars that believe that Genesis 2-1 actually should be at the end of Genesis 1. Because if you read the verses together, look at what it says. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. And then look at Genesis 2-1. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. So scholars look at that and say, why is Genesis 2-1 not at the end of Genesis 1? You say, maybe nitpicky, it might be. But scholars say it's an inclusio. It's a summary statement. It should be at the end of Genesis 1. And we, we need to give the people a break who made the verses up, by the way, because it was done by man. In fact, the Bible that you hold, the verse distinctions and chapter breaks were developed by a man named Stephanus hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He was a printer scholar. And he developed the, the chapter breaks while riding on horseback. So you can give him a little bit of slack for not including that verse in Genesis 1, amen? Wouldn't it be hard? I mean, you'd be bouncing up and down on your horse. How would you? Anyway. If I were to ask you to give me a mental picture of rest, where would your mind go? Some of you might say, well, it would go to a hammock tied between two trees, nice cool drink to my right or left, a little gentle breeze. I'd be just, oh, yeah. Some of you may picture a raft in a pool. You're floating there all alone. It's placid. <laughs> no dogs, no kids. Ah. Some of you are picturing rest as being a golf course. Amen? No? <laughs> anyway, depending on how you're playing that day. Maybe it's shopping. I don't know. I looked at the dictionary. I went to dictionary.com, and I wanted to see what they said about rest, and it was really quite incredible. They had seven 
definitions or explanations of rest. Listen to these. Rest is a noun and it says it's the refreshing quiet or repose of sleep, a good night's rest. Number two, it's refreshing ease or inactivity after exertion or labor to allow for an hour of rest. Number three, it's relief or freedom, especially from anything that wearies, troubles, or disturbs. Four, it's a period or interval of inactivity, a repose, solitude, tranquility, to go away for a rest. It's mental or spiritual calm, number five, tranquility. Number six, it's the repose of death, eternal rest. We say of somebody who has died, may they, what, rest in peace. And then seven, it's the cessation or absence of motion, like to bring a machine to rest. And I think those are pretty good definitions. In fact, I'm gonna argue that a lot of what's in the dictionary for the word rest is what God was after. And what we're really looking at today is the early roots of the Sabbath day. Sabbath literally means seven. And on the seventh day, God rested and he surveyed his work. And this has brought up some questions among scholars. For example, why would an omnipotent God who is all powerful need to rest? Did he need a breather? Was he tired? And the answer to that question is no. God is all powerful. He's omnipotent, all powerful. That's the the word for God's power. So he didn't need a break. And in fact, the Bible will tell us that he's still working, sustaining the universe and working in the redemption of humanity. Why did God rest? Interesting question. Maybe you've thought about it, maybe you haven't. I don't think God rested for himself per se. I think he rested to develop a pattern, a human pattern that we would need. I think the day of rest that God established is probably more for us than it was for him. And God put his hands to this work and for six days, the earth is now teeming with life and and now there's gonna be procreation and, and things are going to grow and move but God has now taken a break, if you will. He stopped, he ceased and the essence of the word rest means to cease. Cease striving, Psalm 4610 says, and know that I am God. Man, I don't know about you but I need to hear more about rest because I know how our culture is. I know how our devices are. We could be checking our phone constantly, trying to hear somebody talk. We live in a crazy culture right now. We're all moving at these fast paces, and it's becoming harder and harder to find times of a respite. You have to be intentional. And when God gave the early roots for the Sabbath day, he did so because he knew that we needed rest. It's one of our great needs. Not only physical rest, we need emotional rest, and we need spiritual rest. And for the Jews, what happened was a Sabbath day was established. And if you uh, read, uh, you know, go on a blog and read about a Jewish Sabbath weekend, here's what they do. On Friday, they usually leave work early because there's certain things that they can't do once the sun sets. The Jewish day starts at sunset. So on Friday at sunset, you're in Shabbat, you're in Sabbath. So they would leave work two or three in the afternoon. They make preparations. They cook stuff ahead of time. And when the sun sets on Friday, you are in Shabbat. 
You're in Sabbath. And what they do is they would gather as a family. They'd have a family meal. They would read some uh, uh, readings from scripture. They would pray and sing. It was a family time. And then as a Jew, you wake up on Saturday morning and you go where? You go to services because Saturday was your uh, church day, if you will. And you'd go there. And then once that two, three hour service was over and you got to focus on God and the community of uh, the people that you were with, then you would go home and have another communal meal and uh, family meal. And until the sun set on Saturday night, you were in the Sabbath day. And here's the thing that I think rabbis and others have wrestled with. They've said, well, what is the meaning of this rest? What kind of rest would God need? Or what would he be conveying to us? And I think a good way to think about this is that God knew that we would need the rest of relationships. The Sabbath is about getting to know God better and getting to know other people better. That's what it's all about. God knew that we would need a defined boundary in our lives to make sure that we're focusing on things that are important so that work did not consume you. Anybody here get lost in your work? It's pretty easy, huh? We can, we can be on extremes, right? We can become workaholics or we can become lazaholics. You may know people who are in both camps, right? But God set a divine pattern, called this the rhythm of heaven, and he knew that we would need a boundary because if you don't have a boundary in your life to have intentional times of rest and relationship, this world will suck you dry, It will chew you up and spit you out and move on to the next victim. They'll forget about you in corporate America tomorrow. Now, there are some companies that are starting to get it, and I know there's power naps we're in for a while. You know, go ahead, go to your car, take a power nap. It'll make you better. Or going to the gym during lunch, that's not a bad idea. But there's a rest that God knows that we need that's much deeper than just physical rest and even emotional rest. It's the rest of relationship. And the Sabbath is really established to know God better. Now, we know as a church, we've read Romans 14, Colossians 2.16, we're not bound by a Sabbath day. We have freedom in Jesus Christ. In fact, we would say that Jesus is our Sabbath. We're not bound Friday at sunset. In fact, the Sabbath day was really given to Israel, but the principle is there. And the principle was carried over to the early church. And the early church started to meet on Sundays. And what did they do? Acts 2.42 tells us. They focused on the apostles' doctrine, on fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. When the church came together, they focused on knowing God better and interacting with one another. And people who still practice the idea of the Shabbat or the Sabbath day say that when they have to shut things down and turn the TV off because you can't watch TV and the device is off and all of this stuff, it forces them to now get to know the people around them better. You ever had a power outage at your house? All your devices go off and you're like, ah, rats, darn, ah, what do you do now? There's something called a candle. A candle? Where's the switch? So you light the candle, right? And you can't turn. Now you could do your phone, right? Because you have battery power. But anyway, we won't go. Just go with me. So anyway, (laughs) but have you ever had that time? And now, you know, your family kind of got together and 
you focus on one another, and all of a sudden, you started meeting people again that you live with. <laughs> Interesting concept, isn't it? Well, the Jews, because of Shabbat, are forced Friday night to shut it all down and focus on God and each other. Sound like a pretty good idea? I would say that there's a desperate need in our culture today for families to regather some expression of Sabbath. Because the world is now dictating to us what we do and how we measure effectiveness and schedule. And God has work for you to do. That's part of this. But you need to know that even God rested. Who are we to say we don't need rest, but God did? Hello? So we need to pay attention to this idea. And the heavens and the earth, 2-1, Genesis, were completed. They were finished. And all their hosts and all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God completed his work. Now, there are some versions. Uh, the ESV says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their hosts uh, in them. And then I think verse two Let's see, it says, on the seventh day, God completed his work. Is it by or on? Scholars, rabbis have wrestled with this idea because they say, did God do a little bit of cleanup work on day seven? Is it on or by? And Rashi, who was a great Jewish scholar, said, I've solved the problem. God created rest on the seventh day. That's what he did. <laughs> but do you need to create rest? Isn't rest just a ceasing from activity? Is it something that you need to create? Well, in our case, I'd say we need to create it. We need to be able to put up predictable boundaries. And God was so serious about this to Israel. He said, if anybody does not honor the Sabbath day in Exodus 31, that person shall die. That person shall be cut off and put to death. He was serious about this pattern. And that pattern of the Sabbath day became the covenantal sign between God and Israel. And he said, look, you are going to rest on this day because I know how much you need that rest. And God established the Sabbath. The Lord, everything belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all who dwell in it. And he said, look, I know what you need. I made you. Follow my pattern. Could you say right now you are in the rhythm of heaven's ways? I could, I could confess to you because I'm preaching to myself. Sometimes that's not true. Sometimes we get consumed by all this stuff. But God says, cease striving and know that I am the Lord. Now look at verse two. It says, by the seventh day, God Elohim completed his work. You'll notice the word work is a couple times here, which he had done. He rested that Shabbat or Shabbat. He ceased on the seventh day from all his work. See the word work there, which he had done. The word work is malaka. We transliterate it into English as M-E-L-A-K-A-H, malaka. Now, abodah is the other word in Hebrew for work, and it's kind of like a grunt labor work, like thoughtless, you know, just doing labor but malaka is the word that ties to skilled precision. It's the work of a craftsman. It's the idea of mind and action combining in work, malaka. 
And God had his work. And here's the pattern. God has made us in his image. And one of the things that we do as humans to give us meaning and value is we create. And the question that you have to ask yourself this morning is what is your malacca? What's the work that God has called you to? In what areas do you have strengths and creativity where God would say, that's what I want you to do. I want you to pursue that. You know, there's some people that we meet and we say, that person was born to be an artist. That person was born to be a musician. That person was born to be a preacher. (laughs) That person was born to be a baseball player. Whatever the case may be, there is work that God has for you. And in that work ethic and rest ethic, you will find the pace of life that you need to have. God wants you to do well. He's given you at least one spiritual gift, but maybe more. He's got a specific calling. You are his work of art. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You must find your malacca, your work, and you must find your rest, all in the sight of God all doing what God has called you to do. Put your heart and mind, let it be a labor of love that you pour out to God. We've had some people recently um, pass away in our congregation. Uh, Glenn Govednik and Joe Osborne just recently went home to be with the Lord. And even in the concept of rest, there is a rest of hope. Because even in the six day creation and the day seven, it it, what it gives us is a, is a picture of the millennial rest to come in Christ. And we can, even now with losses and struggles and questions, we can have the rest of hope. You see, what we have as Christians is hope is faith looking forward. It's knowing that the story's not gonna end when I take my last breath here. But there's so many things that chew away at the things that are important. Go to Exodus chapter 20. So when God established this uh, pattern, Exodus is just the next book to your right. Exodus chapter 20. He wanted the children of Israel to walk in his ways and get this divine pattern. So these are the 10 commandments. And he says in Exodus 20, verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work. Verse 10, Exodus 20. But the seventh day, is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. Now turn to Deuteronomy 5, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is another uh, record of the 10 commandments. And there's an expanded version of commandment four, which I want to show you. The Sabbath day was unique to Israel. Let me tell you why. In ancient history, as I understand it, the only people that had days of leisurely rest were the wealthy. If you were a servant or you were not well-to-do, you did not get a day off. The weekend in America was unknown in the ancient world. We think, oh, you gotta have a three-day weekend now, right? Three days. Well, look, It was unknown in the ancient world. You had to be well-to-do to to even get days of leisure. And this made Israel unique. And in Deuteronomy chapter five, God says something else about the Sabbath. Look at verse uh, 
12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh, Deuteronomy 5.14, is a day, seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey, they even get a day off, or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, when God tells Israel to observe the Sabbath, get this. He tells them, observe it because of the creation that I made, and I rested on day seven. So when you, when you rest, reflect on my creation. Observe the Sabbath, expanded version in Deuteronomy 5, because you were a slave in Egypt, and Pharaoh and the taskmasters made you slaves, and even told you to make bricks without straw, and you never got a break and Egypt is a type of the world, and, and Pharaoh is a type of Satan, and the taskmaster is a type of our sin that we often bring on ourselves, and we get scarred by it. And God says, I want you to remember when you Shabbat, when you kick back on the Sabbath, I want you to reflect that you were once a slave. There's the rest of creation. There's the rest of redemption. There's the rest of relationship. This is what God wants us to do. This is the pattern. This is meaning of life stuff, you guys. That's why God set it up the way he did because he knew what we needed and he knew that we would need to go back and reflect on these uh, patterns that God has given us. Think about this. The greatest need that you have right now is not physical rest, but you need that. It's not emotional rest, but you need that. Your greatest need, according to scripture, is spiritual rest. Anyone who is still carrying the weight of their sin on their shoulders is always going to be restless, always going to be stressed out. I was thinking of what the opposite of rest is. It's restless, or think of the word stress. Same letters, just add a couple of S's, right? <laughs> Do you know, I was listening to somebody recently who was saying some incredible percentage of doctor visits that happen today are stress-related. We have all this technology at our fingertips and yet we're stressed out. The 91 freeway the other day. Man, I was just trying to go to the, I was just trying to go uh, north. You couldn't go north. Have you ever just looked into the car's Maybe you're going the opposite way, everybody else is, and you look in the cars, oh man, it's a sad, ugly scene. People are just, <laughs> people on the phone with their boss, you know. <laughs> All you gotta do is put those two letters together, 9-1, and everybody knows. The 91, stress. <laughs> and there's no, are you, like me, I'm one of those creative drivers. I see traffic and I believe I can defeat it. So I try all those back roads and I end up in a worse spot. I would have been 17 cars up there and now I'm back here. I have a tea time. I got to get there. Man, that's a personal confession. 
man, we need rest, don't we? And the world is dictating to so many of us and we're teaching our kids patterns that are unhealthy. Wow. So we've got to do some intentional work. And when God wanted to speak to his children, go to Isaiah 56, he confronted them with another temptation. It's possible to honor the Sabbath, but not truly let it minister to you. And so Israel got in trouble. They said, okay, this concept of Shabbat, it's part of who we are, it's our tradition, so we'll do it. And, then, and they did it, but their heart wasn't in it. It's kind of like the modern day churchgoer who comes to church, sits here because it's their tradition, but they have no intention of letting the truth of God change their lives. Look at Isaiah 56. Um, Verse one, thus says the Lord, preserve justice and do righteousness for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hands from doing any evil. Go to Isaiah 58. God's been talking to the children of Israel about fasting and he goes, hey, it's, it's pretty cool that you're fasting, loose paraphrase, but on the day that you fast, you're having a fist fight with your brother. Yeah, but I haven't eaten anything since yesterday. Yeah, but you're in a fist fight with your brother. Hello, you're kind of missing the idea here. And he says, look at verse 12, Isaiah 58. And those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor it desiring from, desisting from your own way, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, God saying, it's mine. Then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And what did Israel do? They looked at the people groups around them and they stopped doing it God's way. They embraced the idols of the culture. Let me ask you, how are your idols of rest doing for you? Are they satisfying your deepest needs? The answer is no, they just don't. In Amos chapter eight, um, if you can find the book of Amos, God bless you. <laughs> I'm gonna read it to you. Here's what God challenges his people. Amos chapter eight. It's to the right. That's all the help you're gonna get. <laughs> Hear this, you who trample on the needy to do away with the humble of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath Amos 8.5, that we may open the wheat market to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger and to cheat with dishonest scales. So, Amos 8.6, so as to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals and that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Amos 8.7, indeed, I will never forget any of their deeds. Because of this, will not the land quake and everyone who dwells in it mourn? Indeed, all of it will rise up like the Nile and it will be tossed about and subside like the Nile of Egypt. 
And it will come about in that day, declares the Lord God, that I shall make the sun go down at noon, make the earth dark in broad daylight. Then I shall turn your festivals into mourning and your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on everyone's loins and baldness on every head. And I will make it a time of mourning for an only son. And the end of it will be like a bitter day. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for the hearing of the words of the Lord. And people will stagger from sea to sea. And from the north, even to the east, they will go to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Context, they couldn't wait for the Sabbath to be over, so we get back to our business. Come on, let's go. I don't like long sermons. I've got, <laughs> I got people to see and business to take care of, and bam, we're off to the next thing. And God says to his people, slow down, hold on. There's something deep I'm trying to communicate to you if you will listen to me. Go back to Genesis and we'll finish it. Genesis 2.3 says, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. The word sanctified is the word holy, kadosh. It's the first thing that he hallowed that I know of in scripture. He blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, set it apart because here's why he did it. Because in it, he rested from all his work which God had created and made. The reason the day is set apart is because it is the day that God rested. And he invites his people, enter into my rest. And what did Israel do? Well, they were in the desert and Hebrews 4 picks up this theme and it mentions the word rest in Hebrews 3 and 4 at least 10 times. And God says of many of the children of Israel, this is very important, they did not enter my rest. And there's one reason why God says they didn't enter it. And the word is unbelief. They simply could not trust God that if they did it heaven's way, God would take care of the rest. And so they looked at the nations around them and what other people were doing. And they said, uh, I don't know, is this the best way to do things? Do you know that businesses used to be closed in America on Sunday and now it is the exception rather than the rule? Chick-fil-A, people are scratching their head. Why would they ever close on Sunday? That's a big business day. They're doing pretty well. Because they found the rhythm of heaven. And some of you have heard the story of uh, Chariots of Fire, Eric Little, who would not run on the Sabbath day. We could argue about the day, but he had a higher ethic. He believed that God was more important in his life than anything else. And he set a standard and he wouldn't move from it. We have all these people running around. We can be like chickens with our head cut off, right? And you can see it in people's eyes. And we have a desperate need of rest. And Jesus says, all these people are going to and fro. He sees them as he's ministering on the planet. Maybe you can hear this in a fresh way. He sees them under the yoke of Sabbath restrictions that became ridiculous. And he, he looks at people and he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in, in, in heart, and in me you will find what? Rest for your souls. 
Your greatest need is rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we've got all these people walking around and, and look, they're trying to earn a dollar and trying to love their family. I understand it, but they're missing the most important thing that Shabbat means. Here's what Shabbat means. It is finished. God finished his creation and from the cross, John 19, 30, Jesus said, it is finished. Will you come to me? I'll give you rest. Will you enter into my rest? I'll provide everything that you need. And many did not enter in because of unbelief. The more you trust, the more you rest. And so people are struggling with deep questions of life. And look, I know that some of you have got some heavy burdens. But isn't it cool that you got a God who said, give them to me? Give them to me and I'll carry them. And he showed up in humanity in the very calendar that's been dated by his arrival. And he took upon himself my sin, my burden, my mistakes, my shame. And what he offers me, incredibly, is rest. Spiritual rest. All I've got to do is believe him and come. George Matheson was born in Glasgow and 1842, he was a pastor in Scotland in the 1800s. And he suffered from progressive blindness and became completely blind at the age of 18. The woman that he loved and hoped to marry broke off the engagement because she said she could not be happy married to a blind man. He was brokenhearted. And he took pen to paper and he said, these beautiful words, oh love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the love I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. There's a love that won't let you go. God established this pattern, six days of work and a day of rest for us. He made all of this because he loves you. He gave you work to do to feel creative and satisfied because he loves you. He gave parameters for a work week and rest because he loves you. And the early church picked that up and started to gather on a Sunday and they found the beauty of the rest of relationship with God and in a famous evangelistic verse, Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And it's been used by Billy Graham and many other famous evangelists. And I've got no problem with its usage in evangelism, but it was written to a church. And Jesus is pictured outside the door of the church knocking and said, saying, Behold, I stand at your door and knock. Will you hear? If you will open up that door, I will come in and sup with you. Think of the image now. This is the image of a meal. This is the image of close fellowship in you with me. And in his presence, you'll find everything that you need. I leave you with this. In the Hebrew picture language, I've mentioned several times to you, the early way that Moses would have written was more in a picture style, almost like you'd see in uh, Chinese. And 
When you look at the word Sabbath in the Hebrew picture language, get this, it means in the ancient symbols, return to the covenant. In order to find Sabbath rest, the last letter in the Hebrew picture language looks like a cross. It's the Tav, and the, the word Shabbat means return to the cross. Every time you're weary, every time you're poured out, you're confused, you're wondering what to do, the Bible's already told us what to do. The Sabbath means return to the cross. And Jesus says, return to your first love and I'll give you everything that you need. Amen? Would you bow with me? Lord, thank you for this beautiful new covenant in Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are our Sabbath. This is not about a specific day to be argued about. This is more about a principle. This is about entering into your rest. And Lord, some of us need to redraw our boundaries. We need to find a rhythm, again, of heaven's ways and not miss the most important relationships around us, Lord. Sometimes we hide behind our work or other things because relationships are hard. But even when you have given us this time, it's, I think it's even to resolve conflicts and deal with stuff that we might avoid had we not had a, a time to gather. Thank you that you are all wise, Lord. You know exactly what we need. And I pray for every precious soul here that is reaching out to you in prayer right now that you just meet them and bring healing and refreshment times of refreshing would come from the Lord. With your heart bowed before the Lord, if you've not met him and you still carry the weight of your sin, Jesus wants to take that from you. But you've got to believe, you've got to turn and return to that covenant in his blood. It's something like this, if it's you, ask him in. It's something like this, pray it out loud. Jesus, save me. I believe you died on the cross for me and I believe that you rose from the dead and I want to enter into your rest. I'm going to take you at your promise and come to you with all my burdens and struggles and my sin. Thank you that you died to pay that ransom price. Maybe you're a person who's been far away and you've been feeling the effects of not walking with Jesus closely. And Revelation 3.20 was for you to open the door afresh to your Savior and your Lord. He'll meet you right where you are. Father, for the rest of this precious congregation, may you minister to their every need. May we find rest for our souls in you. In Jesus' name, amen.